0: why the Fed is freaking out, and why I'm legitimately concerned that we could see a crash. I'm Graham Summers, and this is Bulls, Bears, and BS. Welcome back to Bulls, Bears, and BS. I'm Graham Summers, Chief Market Strategist for Phoenix Capital Research, and today is Friday, March 24th, 2023. So I didn't mean to scare you with that introduction, and I didn't mean to be a doomer gloomer, but some things are happening that are really quite concerning behind the scenes. So if we wind the clock back a couple weeks ago, we had a sort of mini banking crisis on the West Coast of this country, specifically in the regional banking system. And by quick way of review, let's just assess what happened, and that will help lead to where we are today. A number of banks, specifically Silicon Valley Bank, got itself into some serious trouble over the course of the last year or two. The way that bank got itself into trouble is, first and foremost, it seemed to have abandoned a lot of its risk management protocols. The bank wasn't really maintaining solid leverage or capital requirements, and it was lending out quite a lot of money to startups, which in turn were being financed by VC funds, which in turn kept their deposits at the bank. And by the way, those startups also were keeping their money at the bank. So it was a very circular kind of incestuous setup. Beyond this, the bank didn't seem to be aware of the risk of interest rates. And what I mean by that. Is that when inflation entered the financial system and the Federal Reserve announced that it was going to start hiking rates? Some banks took note of that and hedged their portfolios. Remember from our previous broadcasts that the way banks historically work is a depositor puts his or her money in the bank and the bank pays a low short term interest rate on that deposit. The bank then turns around and loans out five, seven, even $10 in loans that it charges a higher interest rate on or it uses money to buy long-duration assets like mortgage-backed securities, mid-to-long-term treasury bonds, corporate debt, and the like. The reason this can be problematic during a regime in which interest rates are rising is that as interest rates rise, bond yields rise. And when bond yields rise, bond prices are falling. So if you own $95 billion worth of bonds— and interest rates start rising and those bonds drop in value, you're sitting on a lot of unrealized losses. This was exactly what happened for S- Silicon Valley Bank. They were sitting on, I believe, 11 or 12 billion in unrealized losses as far back as July of 2022. And by November of 2022, it had gone up to 16 billion. Why did that matter? Well, At the time, Silicon Valley Bank's entire shareholder equity was something like only $15 billion. So as far back as July of 2022, the bank was sitting on unrealized losses equal to like 80 or 90% of its shareholder equity. The funny thing about bank runs and crises is that they ultimately come down to confidence, which is an intangible thing. In the simplest of terms, debt doesn't matter until it does. And while all of the issues I just described to you were sitting on Silicon Valley, Silicon Valley Bank's balance sheet statements, and those were public, I mean, this was not like Bernie Madoff where everything was kept hush-hush. These were in the financial statements that this bank was publishing every quarter. No one seemed to care. And then sometime about three weeks ago, certain Silicon Valley-based VC funds became nervous about that bank's Financial standing, and they started to pull their deposits out. And for every dollar of money that comes out of a bank deposit, that bank now needs to unload five, seven, maybe even ten dollars worth of its bond portfolio or its long term loan portfolio. And this forced Silicon Valley Bank to have to rush sale something like twenty one billion dollars worth of bonds, culminating in a two billion dollar loss, which in turn caused depositors to panic more and pull more money. And then before you know it, you've got a bank crisis. And unfortunately, this wasn't just Silicon Valley Bank. There was Signature Bank. There was a number of other banks involved in this. And the question becomes, well, how did this happen? Well, part of it is because these were smaller regional banks that are not as heavily regulated as the big players like Wells Fargo or J.P. Morgan. Those big banks have to report to the Fed and the regulators on a daily basis about their unrealized losses, their capital requirements, and the like. Silicon Valley Bank wasn't required to do that. And so in some ways, the Fed and the regulators weren't aware of this, which is quite odd because the CEO of Silicon Valley Bank was sitting on the Federal Reserve of San Francisco's board of directors, which was indeed the bank in charge of regulating him. So that in of itself is kind of conflicting. But my point with all of this is that you had a number of banks that did some foolish things, got into some serious trouble, and the Fed and the Treasury had to step in and prop the system up. But again, this raises the question, the big issue becomes that of contagion. Once confidence is shaken in a bank, and again, confidence is a very intangible thing. It's very hard to tell when panic's going to hit. But once confidence is shaken or fear sets in, things tend to get moving pretty quickly. And I believe the real reason everyone's so freaked out is because of the -the over-the-counter, unregulated derivatives market. You probably haven't heard too much about them because that market's been relatively quiet, but it was the market that caused the 2008 crisis. There are two types of derivatives. There are derivatives that are traded through public clearinghouses, meaning that they're regulated. There's a clearinghouse that's passing the trade. And then there's the things called over the counter, which are derivatives that are traded between banks, hedge funds, large institutions, financial players. And these are totally unregulated. Now, As far back as the late 90s, Brooksley Bourne, who at the time was the chair of the uh, Futures Commission in Chicago, approached Larry Summers, Rick Rubin, and Alan Greenspan talking about this market and was saying, I'm concerned that this is potentially quite dangerous that we're letting this happen. And Greenspan and his pals told her, if we attempt to regulate this thing, it's going to implode the markets. Now, remember, that was the late 90s. Fast forward about 10 years. And once again, the over-the-counter derivatives market is systemically important during the great financial crisis of 2008. In that particular instance, the over-the-counter derivatives that everyone was so concerned about were these things called credit default swaps, were essentially bets or insurance against the default or insolvency of a financial firm or a bank. And at that time, that market was, I believe, 50 or $60 trillion in size. Now, the 800 pound gorilla in the derivatives market is interest rate based derivatives or derivatives that are kind of hedges or somehow related to bond yields, which in a way makes sense because if bonds are ultimately the bedrock of your financial system and the yields on those things are the risk free rate of return against which all risk assets are priced then and you've been in a bull market in bonds for something like 40 years then it would make sense that everyone who's trying to get more yield is trying to hedge things and that they're really concerned in terms of a black swan regarding yields going against them. Now, the interest rate-based derivatives market is something like $500 in size. So this market's something like 10 times larger than the credit default swap market, which caused the great financial crisis of 08. And I believe that this is the market that's got everyone secretly panicked, because if you think about it, yes, regional banks are systemically important when you add them all up together, but there isn't really evidence that all of these guys were engaged in this kind of insanity that Silicon Valley Bank was caught up in. And that certainly doesn't explain why Credit Suisse is collapsing, and it doesn't explain why we're seeing credit default swaps blowing out on Capital One or Deutsche Bank. The only thing that in my mind would explain that is that, well, A, somehow everybody who's in charge of managing risk for these institutions is incompetent and hasn't hedged their risk appropriately, or, and this seems more likely, behind the scenes, the -the over-the-counter derivatives market for interest rates is becoming a significant risk. I mentioned before that there's about $500 trillion worth of these things. I want to emphasize that that is notional that doesn't mean there's $500 trillion worth of risk out there. You know, when you're talking about a derivative, you're essentially talking about a bet between two parties on how something's going to move. And so while one party may be putting $5 in and the other party is putting it $5 in, which makes it look notional value, say $10, the real at-risk money might only be $2. So for all we know, the actual dollar amount of money that's at risk in the -the over-the-counter interest rate based derivatives market might just be say five trillion or one trillion, which while it's shockingly high, it's nowhere near the 50 or 60 trillion of the credit default swap market that took down the system in 08. However, the problem with all of this is again that this market's totally unregulated, which means that the people who are determining what these things are valued at are the banks and the investors themselves. There's no public clearinghouse. There's no third party Clearing group that's actually making sure that these trades are viable, that they're valued at what they should be, and that it's an accurate reporting of financial data. And as we found in 2008, a lot of times these sophisticated models that the banks and the financial institutions use to value this kind of stuff end up being pretty worthless, especially when you're in a crisis of confidence. So I bring all of this up because I'm trying to explain to you why things seem to be unraveling so aggressively behind the scenes. When in reality, all that's happened is a handful of regional banks got themselves into trouble in the U.S. and Credit Suisse got itself into trouble, which honestly, it's been in trouble for years and years. So that's actually nothing new. I suspect that behind the scenes, because of the bear market in bonds and because so few players seem to have actually considered their interest rate risk on their bond portfolios, that the OTC interest rate based derivatives market is starting to kind of Wake up. And as a result of that, large institutions, which tend to be the groups that own the most of these things, are suddenly on higher alert, which is why the Fed and the Treasury are getting so actively involved. Now, I want to be clear here. It does make sense that the Fed and the Treasury stepped in rapidly for Silicon Valley Bank. I don't agree with the bailout necessarily, but I do understand that they were trying to very quickly establish confidence, trying to stop bank runs from spreading. Because the one thing the Fed and the Treasury absolutely cannot control is consumer behavior. If you decide you want to get your money out of a bank, you can do that. No one's going to stop you. And there's an added component here, which is mobile banking. You know, everyone always tells us technology is great. You know, the more technology we have, the better. But sometimes there's secondary consequences of things. If you go back to 1987 and the crash they had then, that crash was actually not as bad as it could have been because everyone had to use phones to try to get their orders in. And the phones got blocked because so many people were calling. So think of it this way. You had, say, a thousand people trying to sell something, but only one could get through at a time to their broker to actually get the sell order in. These sorts of issues don't exist anymore. Everybody has things like Robinhood or E-Trade or Ameritrade on their phones, and you don't have to call anyone. You can just sell stuff yourself. And similarly, you can log into Chase or Wells Fargo, whoever, and transfer money from one account to another using just your phone. So banking has really sped up quite a lot. And I think the reason why the Treasury and the Fed were so aggressive when it came to stepping in and propping things up with the Silicon Valley Bank and these other smaller players is they're somewhat aware of the fact that a bank run now would be a much more rapid and violent thing. It wouldn't be people going to banks and saying, hey, you know, I'd like to withdraw my cash and then taking the cash in an envelope and going somewhere else. It's people just hitting a few buttons on their phones. So I think part of the reason we've seen a little bit of a panic on the part of the regulators is they're aware that social media and mobile banking have really sped things up. But I think the other part of it is that the -the over-the-counter derivatives market is starting to become a concern. Um, What we typically are seeing with these things is they sort of don't matter for a long time, and then suddenly they matter a great deal. I'm beginning to suspect they're starting to matter a great deal. We're seeing this in Capital One. We're seeing this in Deutsche Bank. You're seeing this where credit default swaps, which again are sort of bets on the insolvency or default of an organization, are spiking on these groups. So the reason I bring all of this up is because if the -the over-the-counter derivatives market really starts getting out of control, then yeah, we could absolutely see a crash right here and now. The other thing that could precipitate a crash is that mobile trading, mobile banking thing I mentioned just a minute ago. People can sell much more rapidly now. And there really isn't a bottleneck that would stop orders from coming in if everyone suddenly panics. Finally, there's another thing that's on my mind, which is the fact that why is the Fed and the Treasury spending so much money? Now, publicly, they've announced that they've only spent about $25 billion backstopping things. But if you go to the Fed's balance sheet, the Fed's put something like 400 or almost $500 billion into the system in the last two weeks. To put that into perspective, The entire quantitative tightening, which is the process by which the Fed shrinks its balance sheet, is only a little bit larger than that. And the Fed's been doing that since June of last year. So basically, the Fed's undone two-thirds of its quantitative tightening in the span of just two weeks. Now, that kind of doesn't really jibe well with what we're seeing on the surface. If on the surface, the only concern is a handful of regional banks are in trouble, Why is the Fed engaged in $400 billion, $500 billion worth of balance sheet expansion? Now, there is a critical difference in what the Fed's doing now versus what it's done in the past. In the past, the Fed would engage in quantitative easing, which is where it prints new money and uses that money to buy assets from financial firms or large banks. These, what the Fed's doing now is not quantitative easing. The Fed is opening credit lines and loans. So banks are coming in and borrowing money. They're not actually selling something to the Fed in exchange for capital. But still, the point remains. We're talking $400, $500 billion worth of balance sheet expansion in this pace of two weeks. This is the kind of thing we haven't seen since the COVID shutdowns induced the market meltdown of March and April 2020. And it begs the question, what exactly is going on behind the scenes that the Fed's having to do this? Another thing that concerns me is the Fed's owning, opening up currency swap lines with foreign central banks. Now, remember, the Fed's the only entity in the world that can print U.S. dollars. And so what happens with a currency swap line is a foreign bank, which maybe needs dollars, because remember, the dollar is the reserve currency in the world. It accounts for like 95% of all currency transactions. It's involved in something like 60% of global debt. The dollar's the the kingpin of everything. And if you owe money in dollars and the bond is structured in such a way that you can pay it back using your domestic currency like euros or whatever, when things start getting hairy, you got to get your hands on some dollars. And this is when the Fed has to open currency swap lines, which is so that the Bank of England the swiss national bank the bank of you know, the european central bank can come to the fed and say here's some euros please give me the the equivalent in dollars so i can hand this out to whoever needs it for dollars or the bank itself the central bank itself actually needs access to dollars now the fed's announced just in the last week that it's opening its currency swap lines which again raises the question what exactly is going on here if this is just an issue of regional banks getting themselves into trouble you wouldn't seen foreign central banks begging for dollars and the Fed having to do this. So again, this makes me wonder, is the $500 trillion over-the-counter interest rate-based derivatives market starting to blow up? Is the collapse of Credit Suisse triggering some issues that are now spreading to, Cre- to Deutsche Bank? And are we going to start seeing things on this side of the pond? The way we would pay attention to this would be we'd need to watch what's happening with the large banks in the stock market in this country. Firms that are sitting on the largest pile of this stuff are guys like JP Morgan, Goldman Sachs, Citibank, Bank of America, Wells Fargo, State Street, HSBC, Bank of New York Mellon, and the like. So I'm going to be paying a lot of attention to what's going on with the share price of those firms. If we start seeing they're selling off aggressively... I would take that as a clue that, yes, the over-the-counter derivatives market is once again getting crazy. Now, I realize everything I just told you is really freaking scary. It's, it's basically me suggesting that we could see a crisis that's exponentially worse than 08. I'm not saying that, and I'm not telling you to panic, I'm not telling you to sell everything, and I'm not telling you that it's time to just, you know, bunker down and get ready for an 87-type crash. My job as a strategist is to make you aware of risks that are going on in the market. You can imagine how grateful the people who had deposits in Silicon Valley Bank would have felt if their strategist had told them six months ago, hey, maybe you should start diversifying and getting some of your capital into another bank. So what I'm doing here is not saying all of this is happening. I'm not saying that this is a crisis. It's just around the corner. I'm just saying let's connect the dots. A couple of regional banks got themselves into trouble and had to be bailed out or backstopped by the Fed and the Treasury. Credit Suisse went under and the Swiss National Bank had to step in. The markets re- held up relatively well, but for some reason, the Fed's having to expand its balance sheet by 500 billion in the space of two weeks. That doesn't make a whole lot of sense. Similarly, we're starting to see credit default swaps blowing out on Capital One, Deutsche Bank, and other players who previously haven't been really in that much trouble. This, again, doesn't make a whole lot of sense. And similarly, it's not making a whole lot of sense why Janet Yellen and Fed Chair Powell are coming out and having to say these things like, all deposits are safe, or President Biden's appearing on TV saying, all deposits are safe, don't be concerned. I'm just connecting those dots and saying, this suggests to me that there's something that's really concerning these guys behind the scenes, and my best guess would be that it's the -the over-the-counter interest rate-based derivatives market. Alternatively, it could simply be the threat of a crisis of confidence. Remember, bank runs and things that grip the headlines are not conducive to economic growth. Citibank actually just reported the latest data for credit card spending that's occurred since the Silicon Valley bank collapse, and it actually showed the largest drop in retail spending since we saw during the pandemic in April of 2020. So it's very clear also that these banking concerns are affecting how consumers spend money. Consumers account for something like 75% of the economy or GDP. So if consumer spending drops down, then you've got yourself a recession, which is what the Fed's trying to avoid. The Fed wants a soft landing. Moreover, while banks represent a very small sliver of the S&P 500, I think it's like 7 or 8% by weight, they account for something like 70% of mortgage loans, 60% of consumer loans and the like. So if the banks get themselves into trouble while in terms of stock market size they're not that big in terms of economic impact it's really dramatic. So again, I may be totally wrong. It's happened in the past. Maybe the powers that be are just really freaking out because they don't want people to panic and pull their money out of the banks and trigger a recession and trigger, you know, a collapse in credit to consumers and to businesses which would have a massive economic impact. Maybe it's just that, you know? Or maybe there is actually something happening behind the scenes in the derivatives market that's got these people freaking out. Regardless, I want to say that I believe the possibility of a crash is much higher currently than it has been in the past. This shouldn't be a huge concern for our clients because, as I've been urging everyone to do, you should be in 80% or more cash or 80% or more short-term treasuries, T-bills. Those should do just fine during whatever the heck happens, even the worst case scenario. But of course, be careful with your cash because as we're finding out, the FDIC only will protect up to $250,000 of a deposit. So if you've got more than that, maybe consider putting some of that money into another large bank so you've got the FDIC insurance on all of your capital. So again, I'm not trying to freak you out. I'm not trying to trigger a panic. And I certainly don't want anybody to just go out and sell everything. I'm simply trying as a strategist to make you aware that when I look at what's going on right now and I connect the dots, it's not really adding up to what I'm seeing in terms of policy response. If everything's hunky-dory and there's just a handful of banks in trouble, you shouldn't see the Fed expanding its balance sheet by $500 in the space of just two weeks. Similarly, you shouldn't see the Fed opening currency swaps to foreign central banks. So something's not adding up here. I don't know what it is. I've laid out the situation as best I can. In terms of the near term, um, we need to really wait and see what happens with bonds. If the bond market starts to drop again and we see yields rising, that would suggest that somehow the bond market is smelling a Fed pause or that the Fed's going to no longer be as aggressive with monetary tightening, which is a sign that inflation is really going to start spiraling. However, if bond yields remain stable... That suggests that the Fed, to some degree, seems to have things under control, or at least the, the bond market believes the Fed is not going to let inflation spiral out of control. And then it becomes a watch and wait game for whenever the re- economy enters a recession. Historically, the, recession is, the signal for a recession arriving is when a bond yield curve inversion goes back to positive. We've talked about yield curves in the past. What it is, is it's the difference in yield on two bonds of different duration. One of the most famous ones is the 10s-2s, which is you take the yield on the 10-year treasury and subtract the yield on the two-year treasury from it. And if that's negative, you have what's called a yield curve inversion, which means that the yield on two-year treasuries is higher than the yield on 10-year treasuries. This is atypical, and usually it's a precursor to a recession. However, all it's telling you is that a recession is coming. The signal that a recession has arrived is usually when that inversion goes back into positive, meaning the yield on the 10-year once again becomes greater than the yield on the two-year. What that would mean is that money's flying into short-term treasuries based on fear of of economic duress, and that's usually the sign that a recession's arrived. Right now, we're not seeing yield curve inversions going back to positive yet. The lines have begun rising, meaning they're no longer spiking downward into negative territory, but they're not yet in positive yet, which tells us that the recession hasn't yet arrived. So again, we have a lot of moving parts here. We're talking about over-the-counter derivatives. We're talking about contagion. We're talking about Fed policy. We're talking about inflation. We're talking about the threat of a recession. And it's really a lot to have to wrap your head around. So my warning to anybody is if you find yourself stressing out and you find yourself having trouble sleeping at night because of this stuff, it's a sign you've got too much exposure in the markets and you need to lower your exposure. You need to sell something and get your positions down to sizes where they don't make you fret so much. I've been urging everyone to be largely in cash since April of 2022. And about a month or two ago, I urged everyone to get 80% of their capital into short-term T-bills because they're yielding 4 or 5%. is better than having your money just sitting in a bank account or earning nothing. But again, You should be relatively safe if you're doing these sorts of things. If you're finding yourself stressed out, if you're finding yourself having trouble sleeping, if you're watching the markets every minute of the day and you're not an investment professional, then that's a sign you need to lower your exposure. You've got too much at risk right now. So again, to kind of encapsulate everything I'm talking about, I'm wondering if the -the over-the-counter derivatives market is starting to percolate, show signs of duress again, and that's what's got everyone panicked. Maybe I'm just wrong. Maybe it's simply that the powers that be are worried that consumer spending might drop off a cliff because of a mini banking crisis and that it's not really a warranted thing. I don't know. But these are the things I'm thinking about right now, and I wanted to share them with you so you could think about them as well. I'm Graham Summers, and this is Bulls, Bears, and B.S.